Hello everyone and you're very welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. My name is Paddy and uh, hanging from a papoose <laughs> on my chest uh, is Baby Yoda herself. <laughs> Uh, Lenny, uh, how are you doing today, Lenny? I'm very excited, and I actually found out that they're making, you know, Build a Bear. Right. Build a Bear are making Build a Yoda. They're making Build a Yoda. Build a Yoda, and I am going to make it my business to go out all the way from where I live to Liffey Valley to the only Build a Bear that is anywhere near, which is not near, it's about an hour away from my house, to get a Build a Bear baby Yoda. <laughs> And I've asked it for my Valentine's Day present twice, and I have twice been told no. That it will not be happening. <laughs> baby. But imagine like a little cute baby Yoda, but I buy it for myself. Yeah, why not? You know, treat yourself. I feel like he's such a, a fad that's going to be gone in two weeks, so, and everybody's going to be like, oh, do you remember that baby Yoda thing? And I'm going to be hiding the 70 euro teddy that I spent <laughs> underneath the bed. <laughs> Uh, well, today we are uh, talking about dreams and visions. Uh, dreams and visions are very important in Irish folklore. I know I say that probably every episode, but there is a lot of stories that feature different dreams, different visions, different stories that are quite dreamlike in and of themselves as well. Mm. And we all have dreams. We all have dreams and hopes and desires, and we also have those dreams at night. Uh, what was the most recent? nighttime dream you had i i don't know if i had mentioned this i had a horrific nightmare about michael myers about a week ago what? <laughs> you know from halloween I and do, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. but it was like it wasn't quite a dream because i think it was sleep paralysis you know when you are awake but you're asleep at the same time because i genuinely believed that he was in the room <laughs> and then i was like when i did wake up i was kind of like oh this this is a dream and then i woke up and then it wasn't happening but it was so real and it was one of them dreams you know when you, you're like okay I've woken up and you go back to sleep and it happens again like yeah. straight away you're straight back into the dream and it happened two or three times and I probably never had a dream like that and oh. maybe it's because we've been talking and I've been in the kind of dream circle in my mind of thinking of dreams but it was actually so frightening wow. remind, do you ever hear the story of the Hexham Heads uh, Hexham I think is a town in England and these uh, two teenage boys they found three stone heads. I have heard of this, yeah. And the, they took them to, the, uh, to a local uh, historian, archaeologist, and she assessed them and said they were at least, uh, I don't know, about 6,000 years old. Right. And they were, they were Celtic heads and that they were used in uh, blood sacrifice rituals. Okay. And the boys had them at home for a while. But then things started to go really strange mm -hmm. in the house. Things would fly across the room. And one one night, the mother of the family had, like you were describing there with the Michael Myers dream, she had sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the bed was a guy with a goat's head. And it, mm -hmm. it was she, she was just terrified. And it reached, it became very public and everyone was talking about this ha haunted house with these Celtic heads yeah. in it. And the museum were saying, well, we're going to take them in now to, to give these people some respite. And they started talking about it on the radio, about these heads. And then some guy who drove a, a van guy, you know, a white van guy, yeah. uh, rang in and he said, I yeah. made those yeah, heads yeah, I heard this. for my four-year-old daughter <laughs> to play with in the garden. 
and the obviously the the, the museum still has the heads. Uh, the historian is adamant that, yeah, they're that, they're real, yeah. that they're real and that they're ancient. And your man is equally adamant that he made them out of concrete for well, his four-year-old daughter. Did she have any proof that it, like, co-aligned with any type of other head that would have been used? Like, did it look oh. like a sacrificial head that would well, have been there, used? There are various different heads. They're used in weird rituals. Like Crom Dove, yeah, the, yeah. the crouching darkness is uh, when he's depicted. It's it's often just mostly as a head, yeah. Because you have the um, croak uh, croaks, and you know the Sunday where people climb Croak Patrick yeah. was an ancient Celtic festival as well, where the god Lu, um, like Crom, could look in pretty much four directions. Uh, at once mm-hmm. and so he, every time he turned his head he could see all of the people uh, that he was going to, to punish uh, and Lou, uh, the god Lou just basically stood on top of his head to stop him from moving mm-hmm. and then the people could move into those areas that Crom couldn't see and live their lives peacefully and there was a, it was carried on for generations people would uh, stand on rocks that looked like heads uh, the head of Crom Dove and that evolved over time into to Reek Sunday because St. Patrick I never understood how people can say like you have all these like people who study dreams there's a name for it I can't think of the name how do you know what a dream means? like they say oh you're going to dream of crash in a car or you fall out of a plane or that one where they say if you your dream of falling and you feel yourself like bounce onto the bed they say it's like all oh, a thing from when we used to live in trees how do you know that <laughs> how do you know that i don't i think that that is absolutely made up i don't think you can prove what what dreams mean at all the tree thing does make sense though i'm not buying it <laughs> maybe it's just our best guess in some of the cases yeah uh, there are some of the ones that make complete sense to me. You know that dream that everybody has where they're biting into something and all of their teeth fall out? Yeah. That's That dream is because people find there's an issue or a topic in their life that they can't, can't get no, their I'm teeth not, into. I'm not finding. Yeah. I don't know. I think I need a bit more evidence, like... But like uh, they probably did ask a lot of people who have this dream on the regular. And mm. They probably all have massive issues in their life that they're struggling with. And that's humans generally. But yeah, there's some of them that are just some of the explanations. Like we have in the museum, we have the encyclopedia of dreams, yeah. <laughs> where the even the most minute detail of the dream is is uh, is analysed. And then you have the Freudian thing about it all being about sex. I like the idea that dreams are your brain just basically running through all of the simulations. Mm-hmm. Because we are all in a simulation. If you listen to Elon yes, Musk. Yes, yeah. as much as I do. If <laughs> <laughs> that Joe Rogan interview on repeat. Literally, like I, I was watching that and I was, I was just sweating. <laughs> are we are we all in here? Is there is there alternate universes of me just out there having crippling anxiety, just sweating? Uh, Who knows? Who the, knows? The multiverse. Yeah. But yeah. I I I don't know if this is true, but this is something that I've heard since I was very young that your human brain, as opposed to you know your your monkey brain that you have in, and your lizard brain. Yeah, yeah, your lizard brain. 
that your brain is incapable of making up a human face it's never seen before. Have you heard this? I have. And that the people that you see in your dreams, they are somebody that you've once met or seen in your life. Okay. And I find that very frightening. Yeah. Because it's kind of like they're superimposing, they're kind of creeping in on your dream. Because the way we see faces in objects, like, you know, there's that Tumblr page of houses that look like Hitler. Is there? <laughs> there's a Tumblr page of houses that look like Hitler. They're basically houses that look like they have two eyes, a small mouth, uh, a roof that looks like slicked back hair. And like and, a moustache. And a tiny little moustache. Okay. And your brain is programmed to see faces. That's like with clouds as well. Yeah, and yeah, clouds objects. as well. There's, you can't you can't escape it so it's constantly putting together faces from faces that it's mm. experienced before yeah and you you can't you couldn't really invent a, a face yeah yeah um some artists might disagree with you pretty sure anime artists as well constantly inventing faces that don't look really human I'm sure there's someone out there who does look like Baby Yoda. Like you could find it there. <laughs> there has, like they're saying that you can't invent a face. There's probably someone out there who is oh, President Michael D. Higgins. <laughs> well, he's who did they say he looks like? Frodo Baggins, is it? Um, or just maybe, a Hobbit in general? Maybe just a Hobbit in general. Yeah, he's more Bilbo than Frodo. Yeah, you could imagine him just sitting with with them dogs, just like yeah. painting something. <laughs> the two do- oh, is it two or three dogs? I don't, I'm pretty sure it's two ones. They're both Irish houses and one shadow. Yeah. Irish for shadow. That's yeah. as, um, as far as my knowledge We should start talking folklore. Yes, um, we should. That's kind of what we're here and what we're about. Oh, but first, the, uh, the questions. Questions we got in, we went through them and we picked out a couple of uh, favourites. Uh, our, our first question which we do get asked an awful lot is what is our favourite room in the museum and mm-hmm. um, what do you think what's your favourite room cottage the cottage yeah the little Irish cottage tell us tell the listeners why so I feel like the cottage the way that it, it it looks like an exact replica of the house that you would have been in and it has specific sound effects to the room like rain at some points we have the smell of burning peat so it really puts you immersively into that world of where people would have lived and I feel like everybody there's a sense when you go into that room and I feel like people really enjoy when they're in that room as well yeah you can kind of feel it off the groups when they go in. Yeah, a lot of the stories uh, are pretty wild and they don't make much sense to people until they realise that these mm. the people who heard these stories lived in little, bit, little cottages and they wanted a little bit of excitement, a little bit of the unusual, a little bit of the surreal to come into their lives because they lived in little one-roomed cottages in Ireland in the 19th century. Uh, they worked day in, day out. If they were farmers, they never got a day off. You needed that bit of surreal, and that only makes sense when you when you're in the cottage. Uh, and it's great to go from the cottage then through the rainbow. Yeah. It's like yay, it's a rainbow slide. We've great pride in our work. Uh-huh. Uh, the other question we we got asked was, uh, what is your favorite? action scene what is your your favorite action scene in in a story where where does things get really climactic really interesting or really yeah because i was thinking 
of when she gets turned into a butterfly in Madeira thing. Because right. I've been really thinking about that during the week then. Yeah. 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 And then she gets swallowed into the stomach. Yeah, and is born and again. And is born again, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is pretty cool. It yeah. is, like, and a butterfly as well. Because <laughs> the only reason I thought of it is because I found notes from it from when right. I, I first started here, and I was like, that's actually, like, the perfect action. Yeah. If you've ever seen the movie Fluke, have you ever really seen the movie? I've never heard of Fluke is about a, a, a guy, and he is murdered by his business partner, and he dies. He is reincarnated as one of those bus errand dogs you know the red setters this sounds horrific <laughs> but the, one of the great scenes is it is going from death to reincarnation it's just beautiful and that's what Sleep. I think of uh, of the when the butterfly uh, when Fumnuk turns Atayan into a butterfly and she gets bashed about yeah. by the winds yeah. and uh, she goes into the, the wine cup and is swallowed by the queen. Yeah. The queen has the daughter. And Miser turns up to claim the daughter. Yeah. And they play a chess for her, which is an interesting way to compete for a woman. I think that's probably, yeah, I like that one. Or anyone where anybody dies in <laughs> Like, that has to be. Yeah. Anyone where anybody ever dies in, like, in any type of horrific manner. <laughs> you love that. Yeah, because it's just like, it's just great. Everybody everybody finds yeah. death funny when it's not to do with them. Yeah, one of the great scenes is the how Conan Mothmourne gets a woolly back or woolly yes, body. Yeah. And it's because he gets lodged in a chair in, in a palace that is slowly closing, getting smaller and smaller. It's going to crush him and Finn McCool. And Finn pulls him up out of the chair so fast that he rips him out of his own skin and I just love that scene because it, it's both disgusting and hilarious but as well probably the most anti-climactic death was probably hard cheese Her, what? hard cheese who was hard cheese? when Furby killed oh, me made yeah, hard yeah, cheese yeah, the hard cheese I remember like Queen Maeve you think okay it's going to take something wild to bring this woman down Block of hard cheese, mate. <laughs> like it could have been any of us. Well, I like the fact that the assassin, the assassin, the killer, was looking around him and he could, in rural Ireland... Could, couldn't find anything else. Couldn't find a stone or a rock or something harder than the cheese that he had brought with him. And fired loved it at her. Or we should probably mention as well the, the, the blood-sucking leprechauns. The, the, of the, Sneem. The, the vampire lady. The vampire lady leprechauns. Of Sneem, yeah. Sucking people's toes. I, I, you know, we're talking about dreams and visions, but I think Kerry mothers must have had an interesting way of putting their children to sleep. Um, because it was said in the in the small community of Sneem that right outside in a haunted castle <laughs> lived a tribe of vampire lady leprechauns. And during the season of Lent, the people of Sneem were obliged to give up dairy products. Mm. So there was no butter, no cheese, and no milk in your tea, which is very unusual for an Irish person. I once gave my mother a cup of chamomile tea, and she put milk in it. Oh, no. <laughs> it was, yeah, and she was quite happy drinking it, but it must have been awful. 
And they they said that if you put milk in your tea during Lent, that season before Easter, in the community of steam, the vampire lady leprechauns would sneak into your house at night and suck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> Just the image of that in itself, like a vampire leprechaun. This 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 bat flying into the in through the window and then transforming into a tiny woman. <laughs> Oh, uh, there's there's a couple of stories that always come to mind when when I think of uh, dreams or visions. One is has the quality of a dream, but isn't really about a dream. And the other one is a, a, about a dream, but the dream is in the past. Mm. It's it's it, it happened before, and the the story begins. And the, the first is the one about Ireland had a great king, Cormac McGart, and uh, Cormac had a beautiful wife. He had a beautiful son, his heir and pride and joy, and he had a beautiful daughter. And they lived in an impregnable fortress. You couldn't get into the place no matter how hard you tried. And one day the sun is high in the sky the birds are singing the sweet breeze is blowing and there appears at the front of this fortress the most beautiful man anyone has ever seen you know he has braids in his beard he's wearing a blue turquoise cloak he has golden uh, rings and uh, and Cormac's like just throw open the gates i want to meet this guy he, he looks and sounds fabulous and the two the two boys meet and it turns out that this beautiful man is none other than Manon Machlir, God King of the Sea. And Manon says, Well, I've come from Tirnanog. It's a land of everlasting youth, and no one's ever unhappy there, no one feels any pain, and nobody gets old. And we'd like to begin a relationship with you guys on the mainland. So Cormac shows him into the castle. Um, they're they're talking they're talking business, but they're also enjoying themselves and a nice banquet. And before Manon is about to leave with the deal sorted out, uh, Cormac said, "Could I have your staff?" Now this was no ordinary staff. The staff, uh, the cane, whatever way you want to say it, is a gold branch with silver apples on it. And when you shake it. The apples make the most beautiful music. You've heard of the brown note? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, these apples made the ecstasy note. Everyone forgot all of their problems, all of their woes and all of their troubles. And they just rejoiced in the sound of this, these beautiful apples. And Monod is a bit reluctant to give it up, but he said, Okay, you can have the staff if I can have three wishes from you. Cormac is a, a bit suspicious, but he said, fine, let's, let's, let's do this. They shake on it. And Maron says, well, I'll be, back in, I'll be back in a few months for my first wish. Everyone is deliriously happy in the court, uh, listening to the, to the apples, having a lovely time. No one's feeling any sorrow. No one's feeling any pain. And Maron turns up looking for uh, his first wish. And Maron wishes for Cormac's beautiful daughter. 
Karma gives gives her over and everyone's very sad at first, but then all they have to do is shake the branch, beautiful apples make them happy again. And everyone is really addicted to, to it at this stage. A couple of months later and Monon turns up again and he's looking for his second wish and his second wish is for Cormac's pride and joy and his heir, his son. Now everyone is very, very sad at this point. People are crying and weeping uh, but they, they are so addicted to the, the beautiful apples at this stage that they, they hand the heir over and him and Monon sail off for Tiernanog. A couple of months later then and Monon turns up a third time for his third wish and of course what he wants this time is Cormac's wife. They hand over the queen, Monon sails off, but then Cormac looks around him and he sees that everyone's very happy but this happiness is kind of shallow because it's all it is is the apples, the beautiful apples are making them feel happy but are they really actually happy and what really made him happy what really made him feel a deep kind of happiness even though life was tough in ancient ireland was his beautiful daughter his beautiful son and his beautiful wife he sails off for for Tirnanog and lands ashore makes his way to the gorgeous countryside and he comes across a Cronog, uh, a, a huge uh, home, hall, fort, whatever way you want to call it. The fort is made of bronze, but it has no roof. And people are collecting the wings of various birds, various swans around the place and various white birds. And they're placing the wings and the feathers on top of the fort. But then a wind comes along and blows it off crowd laugh and then they get right back to rebuilding the roof out of the feathers and the wings and Cormac just watches these people who are deliriously happy in this beautiful countryside and they're doing something and it basically has no point uh, there's no point to it he makes his way further to the countryside and he confronts Monon and Monon basically says I wanted to teach you a lesson. We're very happy here, but that happiness is kind of shallow. Mm. Uh, and your real happiness, your real pride, should be your family. Mm. Kings in Ireland are very warlike. They're constantly making war on one another. Really, your happiness should be in your home mm. and not in the amount of counties you control or the land that you control. So it's a very dreamlike story with the apples and uh, with the branch, uh, inducing this kind of ecstasy, this kind of vision or dream, and then going to Tiernanogna for it to be a very dreamlike place. My story also takes place in Tiernanogna. Oh, go on, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, Oshim was a member of the Fianet, who were the High Warriors of Ireland, who was said to have gone to Tiernanogna, but he had been hunting in Kerry, on the coast of Ireland, and when they stopped him and the Fianna, they looked out towards the waters at Kerry and they realised that the waters were beginning to part. A huge platform of all different colours began to emerge in the water. And when they looked out, they began to see this woman and she came closer and closer. But she had a huge big horse and she had long, thick golden hair and beautiful blue embellishments covered in stars on this dress. And she came forward 
and she told him that her name was Neve Hinor, Neve of the Golden Hair. And word had reached her on the land of Tirnanog of a man by the name of Ushin. And she had come to ask Ushin to be her husband, for he was a man not only a fine warrior, but a fine poet. And she wanted to marry him. And so Ushin, he didn't need to be asked twice. He was getting up on the back of the horse with this beautiful woman, and he was going off to the land of Tirnanog. And they went off on the horse. When they got to Tirnanog, he realised that Neve had not lied, that this was a land of flourish and a land where people never grew old. And he realised there was a really, really small old woman on the island. He thought how strange that was. He went over, he talked to her, and she said she had come very, very elderly to Tirnanog, but time was working backwards and she would soon be young. Wow. So years were going by, one, two, three years, and Oshin began to realise that he, he felt pangs in his heart. He wanted to go back to Ireland. But as he was in Tirnanog, he, he, he fell asleep. And while he was asleep, he began to dream. And he dreamt of an island where there was a woman stuck in iron-bound chains, two huge eagles on either side. And when he began to talk to the woman, she went behind the eagles and she got a huge lantern. And he could see that there's behind this woman a very, very large sword. And the sword said, Manon McLear, down the middle of it. And when he came out to rescue the lady, what should he hear? Only a serpent. And he turned around, there was a huge eel-like creature with massive huge eyes. And he had to fight this creature. And of course, it lasted for 300 years because it's an Irish story. And then he woke up. He was beside Neve in the bed and he told Neve of what had happened and she became fiercely worried about him so she brought him to a place called the the Undying Lands or the, the Land of Forgetfulness, that's what it was. The Land of Forgetfulness which was like the place that you were saying everybody was asleep and they were covered in these feathers and it, they went there and they said he was slept for a decade before Oshin got up went back to the land of Tirnanog and saw a huge sword that has emerged on the waters, which was the sword of one of the Fianna, which then caused him to go back over to Ireland and effectively uh, meet his demise when he came back over to Ireland. But I think it's a great story of touching on the point of dream-like states. Well, Tirnanog in itself is like a dream-like place. Yeah, definitely. And even the the passage of time is there. You know the way yeah. in dreams the passage of time is... You feel sometimes you'll have a dream and you'll you'll think that this has been going on for, for ages. hours, yeah. Yeah, and then you wake up and you realise that it's only been you've only been asleep for forty minutes. Yeah, because it was a hundred to a year, wasn't it? One yeah. year there is a hundred years here. Yeah. Have you ever seen the good place? Is I like a bloom in that, no? No, the good place is the one with uh, Ted Danson and um uh oh, what's her name? Is this new? It's a it's a Netflix show think, about yeah, people yeah. in the in living in the afterlife. Okay, it's and, good. Uh, it, it it's funny. It's very funny. And Ted Danson is explaining that the, the passage of time in the afterlife uh, is different. On Earth, time moves in a straight line, but in the afterlife, it goes in a pattern that looks like the signature of a man named Jeremy Berry. <laughs> What? <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's just a mad. It's just a. It's a mad show. It's uh, the most famous dream in the Irish tradition is the dream of Angus, Angus, god of love. Angus was the child of uh, the goddess uh, Boina, uh, or the River Boyne, as she was known later, and the Dagda, Big Daddy. Big, big Daddy D. The Dagda, the, uh, 
He's the only god I know of anyway that has a the in their name. <laughs> That's how important he is. We need to emphasize the the. The doctor. Uh, and uh, Angus uh, is, I, I sometimes imagine him, he has these birds flying around his head that they say are the physical manifestations of his kisses. And I imagine him as a kind of a teenager who takes lots of selfies on their phone, is constantly on TikTok, whatever TikTok is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't understand TikTok people, but apparently it's a thing. And I imagine him as kind of a teenager in bed, getting up to the things the teenagers get bed, in, up to in bed. And his mother walks in, get up and get ready for school. And uh, Angus is like, I've had a beautiful dream about a lovely girl. And I won't be satisfied until she is mine. The goddess at the time didn't, uh, didn't, wasn't worried at first. Uh, she thought this might just be a passing fancy. But gradually, Angus uh, becomes more and more obsessed uh, with the girl in the dream. And he starts to get sicker and sicker and love sicker, and he doesn't leave the bed. His mother, being a good Irish mother, she went up and down the country trying to find this beautiful woman for her son. You know, I don't know about you, Lenny, but if there was a young, if a, a mother came to me, an Irish man, he's like, my son is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> my son is any chance to go up. <laughs> Happens a lot in Kerry. It probably does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I didn't date much when I lived in Kerry. Uh, but moving swiftly on. <laughs> and she goes up and down the countryside, but she can't find this beautiful woman. She goes to the Dagda, and the Dagda's like, oh God, this is just a, this is a passing fancy. Like, as I said, he's looking at his son, can't figure out what's wrong with him. So he gets uh, Bob Darug involved. Our Bob Darug is uh, our Ares, I suppose you'd say, our god of war. But he's also a bit of a lad, I think. Uh, so Bob gets Angus up out of the bed and they go up and down the countryside uh, looking for, for this beautiful woman. And uh, eventually it is revealed to them that uh, she is the daughter of a man uh, whose name I'm going to mispronounce as Ocaid. Uh and he is the vassal uh, of Maeve and Aelil, Queen and King of Connacht. Angus uh, calls to Maeve and Aelil, Maeve and Aelil, this is the god of love showing up at our front door, let's, let's show him a good time. And they throw him a week-long party, they have a very enjoyable time, but at the end of the party, uh, Elil reveals that Okade is a very powerful lord mm. and that he won't be giving up his daughter Fanula and his great men, his great warriors and great soldiers and great men uh, behind him and Elil, while he might be in charge of Okade, he, he has no control over it. So they lay siege to Okade and looking for his daughter and they win a pretty decisive battle uh, knock down uh, okay, the castle's walls or fort walls, whichever way you want to say it. And they discover that actually the beautiful daughter that they have been warring for, fighting for, and trying to capture is cursed. And she is cursed. She has to travel with a, 
11 other women who were also cursed they're all tied by the golden chain and they transform in, into swans mm. beautiful swans uh, and Angus finds out where these these women are, are based where these women are living um, in the lock and he calls out uh, to the swan uh, is my love here and she says who is this that calls for me I am Angus god of love she reaches up to him in the form of a swan he reaches down to her in the form of a man but is then transformed into a swan which in the in the folktale uh, symbolizes consent mm-hmm. and uh, they fly off and they live at Brunaboynia or Newgrange as we call it today and we're happy ever afterwards Unusual for an Irish story. It is unusual for an Irish story. Well, the, the happy ever afters usually come in the middle, and then, and then. By the way, this was happening over here, <laughs> <laughs> and then they were happy, yeah, for a while, <laughs> <laughs> until this horrible thing happened. Then W. B. Yeats comes along in the nineteen tens and nineteen twenties, and he writes the the song of Wandering Angus which is inspired by it. Many of you probably recognize it as, I went down to the hazel wood because a fire was in my mind. I cut and peeled a hazel wand and tied a berry to the to a thread. And when white moths were on the wing and moth-like stars were flickering out, I hooked a little silver trout. And so what Yeats does is he, he changes her for, from a swan to a trout. Don't ask me why, because <laughs> trouts are, are, are a lot less pretty than swans. And uh, he changes Angus into just an ordinary fisherman and who brings the trout home. Trout transforms into a beautiful woman, then runs off, and Angus spends the rest of his life following, following her through the countryside. I will find out where she has gone. Uh, the poem says it's, it's a beautiful poem uh, it was beautifully set to music by Christy Moore Ronald Christy mm-hmm. uh, and I highly recommend listen if you get a chance now we have to talk about the big yes. the big feast day coming up big Celtic feast day of Imbolach Imbolach which became uh, St. Bridget's Day Bridget was a goddess before she became a Catholic saint mm-hmm. uh, before she was uh, Christianized, and Bridget's pretty important in uh, um, Irish, uh, in the Irish uh, Christian mythology, I suppose you'd say. Bridget was a goddess of lots of things, things like uh, making things and the, and the forge and fire, and she was a triple goddess. Triple goddess. She and you often see those uh, beautiful uh, Celtic knots, mm-hmm. which are dedicated to the, the goddess Bridget. Um, I remember meeting a guy once and um, he had the, the Celtic knot on his tattooed on his shoulder and I said to him why do you have the name Bridget written on your shoulder and he didn't know did he he didn't know and he didn't like it oh, did he, <laughs> he was very annoyed with me the lovely people of Kenmare are still celebrating uh, Imbolc they're having the biddy do you know what the biddy is the biddy was a thing that young girls would do on the 1st of February. They'd get their... Is this the 
doll. Yeah, the dolls. They get their favourite doll, they dress the doll up, and then they go door door to door, like trick or treaters. Yeah. But you get money instead of, of sweets. And they still do that. Um, I don't know. Does do the little girls still do it? But they still have the the dancing, the straw dollies, uh, the straw men uh, playing music and doing a parade in Kinmare. It's it's a very nice time. Will you be putting out a piece of fabric for? Oh Bridget? yes. So you put out the clothes that you wanted blessed by Saint Bridget. Yeah. You'd put them on on a bush or a hedge, and she'd pass by and she'd bless them. Some people also, it was a weird tradition where you made a bed for her yeah. inside the house yeah. and you left out food for her to eat so she could come in and have a nap. <laughs> From soaring all over Ireland, you know, she's like Santi. She has to do each and every house and she needs a bit of a break in between. Inviting St. Bridget in for uh, Netflix and chill. But she really was like the kind of people's saint, do you know what I mean? Oh, she yeah. cared for the people. Yeah, she um, she was a power unto herself. Yeah. And there's a theory, I'm not sure how um, historically accurate it is, that essentially the goddess Bridget had a community in Kildare. Yeah. And they had uh, the head priestess acted in the position of Bridget, uh, of their goddess, for various rituals and ceremonies. And basically, this high priestess, this head priestess, uh, converted to Christianity and became Saint Bridget later. There's the stories of her as well being the daughter of a king. And was, the, it, was there not a story that it was the daughter of Lou? It was her star pupil that worked there and would go to the rituals for her? Uh, maybe. Uh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Can you give us a bit more? Yeah, just it was said to be that because uh, Bridget's father was killed by Lou. Okay. In and they they killed him in this really horrific way by basically making him eat congealed sewage, oh. and they fed it to him, and he died. But it was said that his uh, his daughter. I think of her name was said to have been the star pupil that lived in the convent with Bridget and that would go for her in various forms and places for rituals and, and well, things like that. Well, she was a, an unlikely princess in the sense that she was constantly giving away the things that she owned. Her father was carrying her around to find someone that would marry her. Yeah. And he, he had reached a stage where he pretty much give her to anyone. And he left her in the chariot because he knew that if he brought her inside, uh, he mightn't get the deal, he mightn't get the dowry. And of course, he left a beautiful sword encrusted with gems and gold in the chariot. And what did she do? She gave it to a poor beggar man uh, so that he could live the life of Riley again. Mm -hmm. So her father was trying to give her, give her away at various times. And she had a suitor. Uh, at one stage, and she was very beautiful. She was very beautiful, and he was very interested. Uh, but she plucked the eye out of her own head. Yeah. Uh, well, the version that I heard was that it was one of her brothers who said it to her, and her okay. brother was like, "You will be betrothed to anyone who we say, anyone who takes your their eye of you." And she said, "Well, you can have the eye." And she ripped the eye out of her head, and then ripped the eyes out of her brother's head, and then decided, "Actually, I need my eyes." And then healed herself, but didn't heal the brother and left him. Oh. <laughs> to be blind. 
<laughs> That's a great story. You know, it's like if you, I imagine her years later working in the convent and or being an old doddery saint. I used to only have one eye, <laughs> but I, I pulled it out of my head and then I grew it back. <laughs> Aren't I magical? There's, there's Bridget's bed in Kildare as well. And it said if anyone went down into into Bridget's bed, their manhood would shrivel up. <laughs> and uh, so it, it was only ladies allowed down into the into the fire pit. Mm. And if a man went down there, his penis would. Isn't there up. the the statue or the relic that you can put your hand on that cures warts? <laughs> The wart cures. Yeah, that she, that. she she cures warts, and there's this this relic somewhere or this stone mound that you can go and if you have warts, you place your hand upon and it will cure the warts wow. off of your hands. Patron saint of warts. I did not know that. There's Bridget's kitchen in Kildare as well. Kildare is Church of the Oak, mm-hmm. and oaks were sacred to the ancient Irish and to the ancient Druids, which. Um, uh, lends more credence to the idea that it might be uh, an ancient cult to St. Bridget mm. transforming itself into a, a Christian community. There's the uh, there's the abortion scene that everyone wants to hear about. Would you like to tell the but, listeners about yeah, the abortion well, scene? Basically, <laughs> she was said to have helped women terminate unwanted pregnancies of anything that they didn't want. And the women would go to St. Bridget and St. Bridget would would help them with that. And that was because the, the, a nun in her convent... Had fallen pregnant. Had fallen pregnant, and uh, she she didn't know what to do, and then Bridget just put her hand on the bump, and the baby disappeared. And to, to stop any untoward, anything untoward happening to women, she invented a shriek alarm. A shriek alarm. Yeah, so it was a whistle that women used to carry with them, and they would blow at night time if anything... Fell was a play, and they would blow on this whistle, and people would know that something was happening, and they would they would come to help. So she invented it. Stranger danger. Stranger Literally, danger. she invented it. Saint <laughs> Bridges, inventor but of she, the red whistle. She invented like so many different things, like keening. Keening was her too. Yeah, keening was her too. Wow. Of the keening women. The guy who gave her the last rites, Saint Mooing, I think I might be wrong. He loved her so much that uh, after she died, he had the hand that had touched her body uh, encased in silver mm-hmm. so that it would never, ever touch anything ever again after that. I don't know. Have you ever had a cast on your arm? Yeah. Do you know how itchy it gets underneath it? <laughs> Could you imagine if your arm was encased if, in the silver box? If I ever met Freddie Mercury and I touched his arm with my hand, I'd probably encase it in a silver box forever. I wouldn't be surprised. How long has he been dead? <laughs> <laughs> We're in a simulation. He's probably alive somewhere else. Probably. There's another dimension where Freddie Mercury uh, grew old and nobody listened to his last album. A, have you ever heard the conspiracy theory that Tupac and Biggie Smalls are alive and they live in a cottage in Offaly. <laughs> I did not heard <laughs> I heard the conspiracy theory that they were still alive. I'd never heard the one about them living in Offaly. Yeah, I swear. 
This was like on the Facebook circuit a few years ago that this kind of conspiracy theory took foot that they were believed to have been alive well and living in Offaly together. I don't know. I look at the life they lived. I don't think they would have been satisfied living in Offaly. It's an awfully nice place. <laughs> oh, no. That's no. all wrong. So very wrong. Um, Why do you think that people don't know a lot about Bridget and that she's a patron saint and tend to know a lot more about St. Patrick and she tends to be overshadowed quite a lot? I think part, it's partly because of the way sainthood works in Ireland. They're the... Irish people didn't wait for approval from the Vatican to declare a saint. That's why we had so many of them. They just did it themselves. They just we just did it ourselves. We just declared someone a saint on our own. Saint Patrick is is more official in the sense okay. that he is an approved bishop. There is a book that he wrote that you can read, so we know he was a historical figure. Yeah, we're a bit confused about how many St. Patrick's there were. Mm-hmm. Might have been two or three. He's odd. He seemed to have been pretty politically active and astute as well. Whereas everything about Bridget is shrouded in mystery. Mm. We're not quite sure if she was a real person. Yeah. We're not quite sure where the goddess starts and St. Bridget begins. Yeah. The other side of it is that St. Patrick is a man church is a male dominated world unfortunately and St. Bridget's a lady it's very sad Uh, but you know the Irish were always more comfortable with female goddesses than male ones or male gods uh, from our past from our pagan past that's why devotion to the Virgin Mary was so big in Ireland because in our pagan past we had more goddesses than than, than male gods and Bridget is the same way there's the the old story about the girls in in school in a convent and uh, she's told by the nun that you can get into heaven by climbing across climbing up the rosary beads that Mary puts across the wall of heaven and there's the other one about the old Irish mammy that uh, is uh, in a church and she's doing prayers to the Virgin Mary and to the various female saints and Jesus appears in front of her and she's and starts talking and she says to him would you ever be quiet I'm talking to your mother <laughs> <laughs> I think, bizarrely, because of the way the Irish mind works, is we think we know more about St. Patrick, but we're more comfortable with the stories of Bridget. Mm. And Imbolc has been a festival since way before the arrival of St. Patrick. So it's it's been important to us. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for joining us. I was Paddy Holly. You were Lenny. And <laughs> Lenny, she's like Cher. I'm like Cher. Only have our, one name. Cher or, or Prince or. We're all living together. Lenny. Me, Cher, and Prince in a cottage in Offaly. <laughs> We're all together. Oh, I'd like to visit that cottage. Uh, I really would. 
<laughs> we have a whale of a time. Uh, thank you every, very much, everybody, for listening. You were very good listeners. Reach out to us through the tweets, through the Twitter, uh, leprechaun underscore IE on the Twitter. You can email into us rainbow at, uh, uh, at leprechaunmuseum.ie. I had to think there about our email address. And you can also get us on the usual, the Facebook or the Instagram. Everyone's everyone's on the Instagram lately. I know, the Instagram is the way forward. Yeah, yeah the Instagram seems to be the way forward now. And so you can reach us on the Instagram as well, Leprechaun Museum, and, uh, and subscribe to the podcast. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye.